Hey everyone, welcome back to Creative Consumption. I'm Daniel Schwartzberg, host of the show. Thank you guys for coming back to check out the second episode. We really appreciate it. And we would love to hear your thoughts. So if you've got feedback or questions, feel free to email us at feedback at creativeconsumptionpodcast.com. Or you can just go to our website. That's creativeconsumptionpodcast.com. And you can send us a note right from there. I am really glad that I got a chance to speak with today's guest, who is Aline Maya Goitia. She is a New York-based actress, uh, an educator, and a musician. And when we recorded this interview, she was actually starring as a cast member of the latest incarnation of of the truly legendary Broadway review, Forbidden Broadway. Uh, This version of the show was titled Forbidden Broadway, The Next Generation. And uh, one of my favorite parts of the interview is is Aline teaching me how to do a stellar Karen Olivo impersonation. So that was great. Uh, Also, some fun trivia. Aline was the first and the only guest on my extremely short-lived one-episode-long literary podcast that I tried to start in college. Never quite got off the ground. Um, Yeah, I mean, a lot's changed since then. But one thing that hasn't is Aline's thoughtfulness and her candid and just completely open approach to everything, which I really admire. So I hope you guys enjoy the interview. Thank you so much for coming on, Aline. Thank you. Uh, Honored to be here. With so many titles now, I assume Beautour is what you lead with most of the time, but if you were to meet somebody for the first time, what what title do you lead with? Um, Usually I go, I roll my eyes and groan and say, I'm an actor. Um, and then I'm like, but also I, I'm trying to write and make my own work and I love music and comedy and other things. Cool. It, yeah, it it has a, it has a hint of shame in it every time I say it. Why do you think that is? Um, because isn't everyone trying to be an actor making their own sitcom, you know? But no, really, really, I'm, I am proud of that. I like it. I... Um, I wouldn't have it any other way. I would just rather undercut it and then them be like, no, that's cool. You know what I mean? Okay. It's like fishing for compliments, but with my title. I guess I just want them to know that I know it's ridiculous that I'm an actor. That's all I want. Would you say that's the thing you've been doing the longest or like as far as performing, like as far as a creator? Yeah, definitely the longest. Like I did my first professional show when I was nine. Wow. Um... And then once I moved to the States, I guess I wasn't working professionally, but I was doing like theater at the Jewish Community Center and then like at the, you know, like doing the ballet and like doing all the Austin community arts things. And then I started working professionally in 11th grade. So basically like my whole life I've been performing. Um Whereas the other things have, the other titles, the like, um, writer, musician, I mean, hey, that we'll, we'll, really, get that pretty, okay, we'll get right, to YouTuber. we'll get to we'll save that. But, um, like, I don't know, writer, I think is just, um, like in Mexico, everyone does, uh, poetry, like a big part of your literature education is to learn how to, it's called declamar, so it's like you declaim poetry, like learning how to perform poetry is a huge thing in Spain, Mexico, Latin America. So those are your assignments. It's like how we learn how to say sonnets in acting class. That's like something that 
every single Mexican person like has to do that in school. And I remember um, getting that assignment in second grade and I was like, I don't like any of these. I'm going to write my own. And like I came in and I was like, here you go, bitches, like stand in front of the class and I like do it. And I'm thinking like this is like a beautiful personal poem. Um, And then the teacher is like, that's not in the packet of the ones you're supposed to choose from. And I was like, yeah, I know. I wrote it myself. My mom actively encouraged me to do that. She's like, okay, yeah, but you're getting a zero for this assignment. And I was like devastated. And I went home and I was like, mom, she didn't like it. She like gave me zero for the assignment. And like, I thought I went above and beyond. And then my mom was like, oh yeah, well, you're right. I probably shouldn't have that. But basically she was like, if you want to write, you can also do that, you know? And um, I just remember always coming up with like little like rhymes and phrases and songs and like writing new lyrics to different nursery rhymes and things like that. Was writing always a way for you to then get to performing? Because it sounds like you wrote that poem so that you could make it part of that assignment or was it something you also did just for the sake of writing? Yeah, I guess they're probably tied. Yeah, probably. But I also know a lot of people that like I know a lot of like singer songwritery people that that's the only thing they've ever done. Like they've like never felt called to performing other people's music or being an interpreter. And that has definitely been a part of me. So I guess it's, it's both things. And the little like writer voice has been consistent, but small. Also, I think there's way less open opportunities for that usually for just writing yeah like I feel like if you want to perform there's auditions and venues for which to go and try your hand at it and if you're you know remotely good for the project then like you get to do it and it's also like such an easy snowball effect um whereas I don't know there's that many people that are like I mean I guess there's like open mics and shit but it's never felt as um like there's no one that is like please 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 someone show up with a brilliant play there's always people that are like please 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 someone show up that can like belt an f and solve my problem for this musical that i need so i think it's kind of like the economics of it is like at least to me it has seemed easier to be wanted as a performer than to be wanted as a creator. And as far as preference goes, between writing and performing, do you fall on one? I mean, if, let's say, there was a world where supply and demand rules fell by the wayside and they were like, give me all the writers, I want all the writers, or give me all the performers, right? There was no there was no balance between the two. What camp would you fall in? Okay, this is my, this is my theory, is that the things that you want more scare you more and the things that you want a little less scare you less and then you end up being better at them. And I feel that hardcore with performance, especially at this point in my life, because for whatever weird reason, I like keep getting some sort of steady work as a performer. And that's so fun. And it's like something that I'm gaining. Yeah, it's like snowballing into like more and more confidence with it. I'm like, oh, I know I can pull this off. I know like where my limits are. I know where I want to stretch myself. It's so fun. But also I'm like, if I never stepped on a stage again, it would be sad, but it's not like I'm 
crushed in my identity. Well, easier said than that. Maybe I would be. But there's like certain projects that I want to make that I, I know if I don't make them by the time I die, like my life will have been a failure. And I don't feel that with performing. But then that's that's why I think it's so much easier to walk into an audition room and be like, well, this is a thing I do. People have told me to do it fine. Here you go. Oh, I got the job. Oh, cool. See you next week. So the stakes feel like they're lower with performing because it's something that you're not as afraid of doing? Yes. And also because I observe friends and people that I know that are like, that is the level of love and need that they feel with performing. And I like see that in their eyes that is like so, 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 so overwhelming that then it's like really soul crushing if they don't get every single audition. Like every single one is a heartbreak. And I guess right now I've been feeling like I'm in a comfortable enough place where they're not heartbreaks. Like maybe once a year one is a little heartbreaking because I'm like, fuck, that would have been cool. Guys, come on, come on. But it's because of the project is cool. And maybe it's like a life-changing opportunity, like a pilot or like getting to move to London or like something cool like that that I'm like the world around it. I kind of become enamored with as I prepare for the audition, but it's not really tied to my identity as much. What you said about fear, well, I know for me, like that kind of visceral soul crushingness that you're talking about that some of your friends go through, that became, that was definitely something that I'd experienced and I talked to other people who'd experienced. And I know from a personal standpoint, it became a little easier when I had other things I was either doing or making or enjoying outside of theater that then it wasn't an all eggs in one basket sort of thing where my not just livelihood not just like finances right and that's that is a part of the conversation but like when it's not just a livelihood but like my reason for doing things isn't solely resting on the outcome of this audition or this experience that I could put a little less weight on that experience and leave the rooms not like giving a half-assed job but saying hey I did my best and should this turn out great should it not turn out I still have those other things that I really love doing and did you have things like that 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 was helpful in leaving the room or was it just uh, an acceptance of the kind of mutability of theater and of auditioning in that world here's one that I know and this is I guess a privilege is that for whatever reason, I get to audition a lot. For a while now, every single time that I'm going into the room, I know I have another audition lined up already. And that alone has been like, instantly I tell myself, the second I leave the room for audition A, I'm already, like all of my soul and spirit is going into audition B. And then by the time the day comes of audition B, I have audition C in my email. And that's been... Good. Not everyone gets that. And also there's times that's not the case at all. Um, But I think that's been helpful. Also, to be clear, it's not like I don't care. Like I I just remembered I I had a dream this evening, this night, uh, and I woke up this morning and I was like, oh, like I keep having all these like actors nightmares. And then this one was specifically audition based that it was like, I got an email to audition for a very Potter musical. I was like, okay, cool. So I like show up with my little packet. I'm like a little early. And then when I get there, I look at the email again. And then I realize it's actually for a whole season of shows. 
this is the season, right? It's like a very Potter musical. I'm like, okay, ready for that. And then like a, a musical that like I don't really know, like Pirate Queen. And then some some play that's like super archaic and old, like old English-y, like Middle English. Like, you know in choir, those Christmas songs you do that are written all weird? Like Good King Wenceslas or something yes, like that? Yes, like okay. that shit. For a whole play. Yes, and then some other one that was like August Wilson, like something like requiring just full emotional. Okay. And I'm like, you fucking bitch only read the top of the email because it was fun and then you didn't look at these like really hard things that you should prepare for. So now I have like three other 20-page packets. And then the audition monitor is like, okay, uh, Aline, it's your turn. And I go, oh, no, wait, no, uh, can I go later? Like, uh, uh, and he's like, no. Oh, also on the email, every director of every show was someone that I like either know personally or admire, like people that I want to do right by. And then anyway, so then the audition monitor like hurried me and this is still the dream. And then they're like, um, uh, yeah, if you could just um, start with the like archaic one. And I'm like, okay, also didn't have sides, so I'm like reading it off my phone. And like the type is in that like old timey font where Fs are, it's like Shakespeare folio font, but it's like even older English. Great. And it's like the first time I'm reading these sides. Yeah. And I literally go like, just make a choice. Like she's going to be mad. And then like halfway through the side, I, like it was just absolutely the worst kind of bullshitting where they're like, you're not even reading words. How dare you be here? And then I woke up. So anyway, clearly... I do want to do some sort of good. Right. Um, and show myself well and have like a certain level of professionalism. But also, if I don't get it, I don't get it. Yeah. I know. I don't think those things are necessarily mutually exclusive to have an investment in your performance and in your how you represent yourself mm-hmm. and hanging every single hope and dream on, on one 10-minute slot, right? I think mm-hmm. that those things... In a lot of ways, it makes sense to keep them separate, not think of them as one and the same, right? Because that way, like you said, you can have a little more of a healthy mental attitude about it. Yeah. Is it cool if we jump back just a tiny bit? Yeah, yeah. So you're you're back there, right? You're doing your shows. You're listening to your podcasts. What are you seeing in addition to that? Like, what are you watching? What are you listening to that's, that is influencing you, that's motivating you to go into theater? Well, first of all, so uh, both of my parents are actors, and then my mom, my dad mainly did like telenovelas and then theater and then my mom did theater in college and then became a director so like my most formative years like age seven through ten she directed Saturday Night Fever, West Side Story and Annie right in a row so basically my whole elementary school like right after school I would just go to the theater with her and she would either be doing like acting classes or because it was like a training center slash theater um, or just doing straight up rehearsal so I feel like that's the only thing I knew. Like I could hum the clarinet part in West Side Story when I was eight because I just like was like hanging out like at the pit people. like with my crayons. Yeah. Yeah. Even though I was painfully shy. Like I really wonder if I wasn't, if I hadn't been around it and that was just like the norm that everyone just like broke out into song, I would have ever gone there. But um, the other thing was we had... I guess, like, Latin American Disney Channel, which had the combo platter of Lizzie McGuire, Even Stevens, and That's So Raven right in a row. Um, what a trifecta. What a trifecta. And I was just, like, obsessed with That's So Raven. Like, I was like, she's so 
beautiful and funny and smart and like gives no fucks but is like still glamorous like I was just obsessed with Raven and yeah and then once we moved to the states I like kept watching those shows and I feel like those were very influential to my (laughs) yeah also because my mom didn't get it like she was like what is this American humor? Like she didn't get it. And then once I got really into SNL in like the Sarah Palin, like that um, election. Man, that was a good time. Yes. It was like, it was the best. And then I transitioned to the office parks and rec 30 rock. And that became my trifecta. And my mom like did not understand American humor at all. So I feel like I almost did it like more with a vengeance. Cause I was like, ha ha ha. This is just for me. You mentioned being shy. Uh but also loving theater did the theater you saw and then starting to perform theater did that make you less shy overall when you weren't performing or did it become a form of escapism I think the only times in my youth when I wasn't shy was like kind of like for auditions like I remember my mom in Mexico like the party trick like the dance for grandma equivalent is speak in Spanish for grandma I mean what language English because I went to an immersion school, so I, like, spoke English better. I mean, thick accent, but, like, good enough to be impressive to grandma. Um, but I remember being, like, mortified. Like, it was the equivalent of, like, dance for grandma. And you're like, no, I don't want to. Um, but then whenever I went to castings, like, I remember auditioning for the Zorro 2 movie where Texas gets annexed by the U.S. And I remember the line in English was, it means we're part of a bigger country now. And I remember being like, learning my line and being like, okay, like, I hate speaking in English in front of adults, but like, I have to do it because I want to be in Zorro. And those were the only times when I pushed myself to not be shy. But mostly that kind of carried, they were two separate worlds, theater and then the day to day. I think so. Like, I've, I think I've always been a, well, I don't know, blanket statement. I just think in elementary school, I was, like, weird, and I only ever had, like, one good friend at any given point, and it just felt so much more comfortable. And then, like, with that person, I could be, like, crazy, wild, like, fully fun, but with everyone else, there was, like, a barrier. Like, I don't think I really, truly got over that until, like, college. What was it about college that helped you get over it? That everyone was crazy. Like, I guess I, like, found, like one person and then two people and then three people and I was like oh I have like three best friends so maybe like everyone here can handle my crazy and then that ended up being like oh everyone gets along with me to a certain extent I mean you know obviously you have like different things you show to different people but like it it got a lot easier in that environment of huge personalities but also huge personalities in very different ways um but to be like everyone here in this insane school we go to can stand on a stage and like bear their soul. Like everyone has that ability, which means that like in our personal life, we can like play with that. Whereas if we went to like accountant school where maybe there's people that have never ever felt comfortable enough to be that vulnerable, then like even your intrapersonal friendships is like a muscle you haven't stretched. This isn't just for theater people, but I think it's common that people go through their day to day and feel like they're sort of performing right it sounds like and correct me if i'm wrong but you're kind of saying that being in an environment with more people who felt comfortable with all aspects of themselves made it less necessary to actually quote-unquote perform in your day-to-day like normal stuff when you're not on stage is that true 
Well, I guess I've, I've never articulated this way, but all I know is that for whatever fucking reason, when I got to college, I was like, this is four years to be like loose. So it was kind of like, uh, do whatever. Like, I just kind of intrinsically trusted that everyone would still be like cool with me no matter what I did. Any part of me that I choose to express in these four years, it's like no man's land. Like, no one can tell me no because like, it's fucking college. Now I'm a millennial. This is just, just my time, okay, guys? I remember you talking like that. No wonder. That was, that was, that was your mental yeah, state. Yeah, right like, I just spoke like this for four years and like no one could get mad at me because it's my time. And because we couldn't understand you. So, <laughs> 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 what all was going on? Okay, so Disney shows, Muggle cast, I'm assuming theater as well right it sounds like probably oh, was yeah. a huge influence yeah okay. Like in, okay like in seventh grade i was just telling this to my um uh co-star of forbidden broadway the yes. other day because she was in jersey boys for like a million oh, years cool. of her life and i was like jenny do you want to know my jersey boys experience and she goes yeah he goes okay i went to london for my aunt's wedding and we saw jersey boys in the west end unintelligible obviously but i love the music and then I got back and I had the CD and I was like, I put it on my iPod Nano two gigabytes with a pink silicone case. And then I remember like in seventh grade, I like held hands with this boy, Tyler, and we like dated, whatever the fuck that means. Um, but then it, it like was not good. We like didn't really see eye to eye on anything. But um, I remember there was like a day where he was like, um, I just want to like eat lunch like with my friends today. And um, Yeah. And I was like, okay. But in my head, I had been singing, begging and begging you, but your loving hand out It was just like the radio happening to go yeah, in my yeah, head yeah. at that moment. And I remember when he was like, yeah, I'm going to go sit over there, okay? Bye. And then in the song, it went, I'm begging. And then like I aggressively pivot turned and then went, begging, begging you. Were you actually saying it out loud? No, it was oh, just like oh, in my shit. head, oh, I was <laughs> like, oh turn around and then like the song hit yeah, it like yeah, yeah. slaps and then like walk down the hall away from tyler like never to see him again like it was just so aggressive and so dramatic but it was that that was the music i was into in earnest well your life was a show kind of or like it's my life was a show that yeah. was just like i thought um chris brown was an eighth grader everyone was obsessed with people were like chris brown this chris brown that and i was like oh that must be like a popular eighth grader so that was those days how about now like what is what gets you motivated now? What gets you inspired now? Okay, so this is where, like, YouTuber comes. <laughs> okay. So, okay. I don't know when, but I just, like, became really um, into YouTube. And I feel like... Watching? Or, I don't mean to interrupt, watching like, watching. Okay. Yeah, I've never really made YouTube content other than, like, putting up, like, my reels or auditions, like, whenever I have to do it. But um, there's just so much... It's, like, it's the final frontier. YouTube is, it is the reality TV that is actual reality, and it is a fucking true democracy, and anything goes, and you can find truly anything you want on the University of YouTube. Like, whatever thing you want to learn how to do, you find on YouTube, someone's teaching it, um, or you can cobble it together from several people. Also, you can just find these like insane vloggers that have such strange lives and that because they tell it through their own filter, it's not reality because everything is fake, but it's reality TV where you're not like watching, I don't know, fucking Housewives or whatever, which is like so curated and so 
it is like double reality because it's like this crazy person and the way they want to be seen in right. their life. Yeah. I just find it so fascinating. Um, and at some point, oh, it was the year that I was doing Evita because I was trying to like not use my voice. So I would just go home and um, after the show and just like be on YouTube. And like I was like trying to get good at makeup for the show because I was like, ooh, 40s makeup. And then I just went down the rabbit hole so hardcore. And now there's all these like beauty YouTubers, beautubers that I follow. And they have these ridiculous 14 minute videos where they're like, here's the tea about my life while they're like doing their face. And it's just so fascinating. It feels so much more democratic and like cutting edge than anything on the reality TV side of things. Does it feel like it's actual reality more than presentational reality like do you feel like these no people... it is presentational but the presentational aspect of it is real because it is that person doing it it's not a studio i don't know i just it feels so much i know that now it's turning into a huge machine and a lot of the more famous people like have like fucking managers and agents and blah blah blah, blah. but it does feel more <sighs> pure kind of than I don't know, watching whatever the reality shows are nowadays. So I like that. That's my easy watch. That's like, oh, well, I was going to say, is that the thing you watch to turn your brain off is not the right thing? Because it sounds like you're actively thinking about it while you watch it. But to turn your brain towards something else, maybe, like whether that's from theater to makeup or from something else to makeup, like is it something where you are able to watch those videos and that's what disengages you and lets you kind of mentally take a back seat? Yeah, the beauty stuff is really just for fun also i'm just like a, a very visual person so i feel like makeup has been really fun for me lately the the one that is super therapeutic for me is there's this show called uh and it's trixie mattel and katya zamala blah 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 they're these two drag queens and um they like met on drag race just it's these two bald dudes named brian but they're like the most beautiful things you've ever seen um and they started this show they just have like a great rapport and they just sit together and talk about a topic and usually the episodes are like between seven and 20 minutes long and like last week was about dentists and they just talk about their dentist experiences and they just riff on each other it's like just it's like improv stand-up and then the great thing about that series is their editors started to get like hate comments about how much they were editing so then they just did it more and more and more to like troll the commenters. So now it's just like two drag queens in front of a green screen talking. But then the editing is like they illustrate everything that they say um, or like every anecdote like turns into like a little like short illustration film behind them. It's just so well crafted and so funny and has nothing to do with anything. And it's like gotten me through hard times in my life. Like I'm just I'm just gonna put on Trixie and Katya because they're like wiser than me and they've been through some hard shit and they just make light of everything. Like they have like episodes on death and they like make light of it, you know? Once you're done watching, does that then carry through into a show that you're doing or into a song you're learning? Do, do you think, oh, the way that they're able to manage those two realities they're handling, right? The reality of YouTube, but also the reality of they're presenting to an audience. Do those thoughts carry into the work you're creating? I think the whole like living at the intersection of art and trash has become very present in my life. What I'm saying is, who the fuck knows? Like, 
I just feel like when I when I realize the things that I'm drawn to and the reason I'm drawn to them, I'm like, oh, there is truly no reason to be gatekeepy about this is good and this is not. It's like I can love Sonny the Park with George just as much as I love Legally Blonde. And to be gatekeepy about that is dumb. Are the things you take away from those different things yeah. also oh, different? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. What I was going to say towards your question was, so right now the show that I'm doing is Forbidden Broadway, which is like, so basically it's like SNL about Broadway. So we just make fun of the current Broadway season and we do a lot of impressions of like all the divas of yore and the new up and coming divas, which is a lot of what my track is, is like the young stars. Yeah. And a tip that my friend Jenny Lee Stern, Broadway Jenny Lee Stern, um, co-star of Forbidden Broadway, gave me was like to work on an impression just youtube drag performers of whatever celebrity you want to do like look at like drag judy garland turn the audio off learn what they're doing like the mannerisms and then dial it back like three notches and then that's forbidden broadway because it's like the recognizable it's not like what judy garland actually does it's like what we all think judy garland does it's like the top two percentile of excessive Judy Garlandness through the years. Blend that all together and then dial it up. And like, that's your impression. And drag performers do that really fucking well. Like, they just know how to like distill and caricature. While you were making your impressions of people and while you were creating your versions of these real people and using the videos as inspiration, when was the point where you felt like you owned your version? versus you were basing it off of something you were seeing on YouTube? Mm. Well, okay. So in this show, for example, I do Karen Olivo, Rebecca Naomi Jones, um, Laura Dreyfus, and, I mean, Bernadette. Sure. Um, also Elsa and Frozen. But it's like the people that create Forbidden Broadway are of the generation where they know who Bernadette is, but they don't know who, like, any of the other girls are. They're just, like... Oh, also, Caitlin Communion from Prom. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're, like... Like, literally in the script, it was, like, Prom Girl, Oklahoma Girl, like, the Lori in the revival, you know? Right. Whereas, to me... I mean, well, Bernadette is tattooed in my brain, but to me, like, I have seen as much Karen Olivo content in my life because of YouTube as... Um, Bernadette Peters content. It's like that thing Lauren Michael says where he's like, your favorite SNL cast is whatever years you were in high school. And that is like certifiably true for most people. I think that's like, to me, the, the musical theater divas that will always be like, oh, that was the good days yeah. is going to tend to be whenever I was in high school. And to me, like in the high school was 2008. So I watched every Karen Olivo iota of content there possibly was so i feel like without even knowing it i feel like i could do an impression of it be just because like i know her and i've seen her in every interview she's ever done and even like her fucking instagram or like her regional production of fun home like you know that i found those clips so going into the rehearsal process where they were like uh just do like moulin rouge like i don't know who is she and i'm like oh i know who she is because of YouTube. And so then your ownership came from the fact that you had so much personal 
experience with her content that then you could say, I can make an amalgam of all these things? Is that kind of what it was? You were like, I'll pick a little from this or I'll pick a little from this. Like, let's say Karen Olivo. Let's take Karen Olivo for an example. Was there like one particular video where you're like, fun home Karen Olivo is definitely what I'm going for or Mulan Rouge? Okay, so Karen Olivo is like, um, so like I always wanted to be Vanessa in the Heights, LOL, I've only ever been Nina. But she used to like do this thing where she was like, kind of like I dream of Jeannie, like put her, cross her arms and then do like a little chin neck chicken wave thing yeah um, the classic chin of course so like that's a that's a thing that she does a lot and then left eyebrow always up and like speaking out of the corner of her mouth it's like a drew it's like a sassy drew barrymore situation on the face and then from west side story she's like um her voice is just it's really hollow and operatic and vibrato-y down when it's low and then once she belts it's like piercing forward so you'd be like a boy like that would kill your brother and then she'd go one of your own kind stick to your own kind like she'll like she's just the um black and white between those two tones so like those are the three ingredients of my karen no that's awesome you're getting the secrets right here guys so if you ever want to do a karen olivo Chin, neck, chicken, head. Uh huh. The eyebrow is very important. The eyebrow is very important. uh, And then switching your vocal placement a little bit. Exactly. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to take a moment again, like last episode, to let you all know that in the show notes, in addition to resources and links about where you can find Aline and learn more about her work, We are also going to be including links to organizations led by and in support of Black, Indigenous, and people of color, uh, initiatives and information about arts equity and anti-racist resources, and some more stuff. Um, Actually, in these show notes, we'll also have a recommendation from Aline. As always, if you have any feedback about these resources, um, ways that we can expand them, add to them, and also feedback about how we are incorporating this messaging and how um, I'm addressing these sort of issues. I would really love to hear that. So please feel free to contact us at feedback at creativeconsumptionpodcast.com. All right, here's the rest of the episode. I'm going to hop back a little bit Mm -hmm. to YouTube because you were talking about that idea of like presentational. It's like when somebody is making something with the knowledge that an audience is looking at them and maybe wanting to seem one way to people, right? We present our lives in a certain way or present this situation in a certain way. And it broadened it out a little bit to social media overall. Because mm-hmm. I think that's the kind of content that we, almost all of us experience in yeah. some way. It's hard to avoid the ubiquity of social media. Sure. So I guess to start with, how often do you use social media? Um, okay, so I basically quit Facebook this year or some point last year. Um, so I only go on it when I need to sell items on Facebook. The marketplace of Facebook is great. Yes. But also like I've gotten fucking jobs off Facebook. Like I'm part of all the like, um, like Latinx theater people and they're like, we need a 20 year old for a reading tomorrow. And I'm like, "Ah, I got it. You know? So that's why I can't quit Facebook yet because I've actually gotten to meet really cool people in my life through that. And also my aunts, like I need to see their photos. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's like not really part of my life. Um, on Twitter, I just go and I read, like, the funny people that I follow. Like, I read Natalie Walker and, like, Lynn and, I don't know, the God account. Like, I don't know. 
Instagram is the one I do the most now. I think because like I'm a visual person and it just kind of lends itself well to what I like. And the big change was I think the first year I got to New York, every time I would post something that like I thought was funny and was funny to like my two best friends, my mom and my agent started to be like, Aline, take this down. <laughs> Literally, the two of them. Um, and I was like, oh, damn it. So I, I kind of got to a point where I was like, okay, yeah, this is my public figure. So like anything that you wouldn't do in an audition setting, which is funny because that's becoming increasingly elastic as I get more comfortable with like who I am. But still, like if I wouldn't, you know, like take a shit in an audition, I shouldn't like post a photo of myself shitting. I mean, that's an extreme example. Or? I mean, I would do anything for my art. Preview um, for Aline's next nightmare. Exactly. Oh, my God. Um, but just stuff like that um, I think is important. So and Yeah, so I made a concerted effort to just, like, be more presentable a couple years ago. Then I think I made more of an effort to, like, be a little more forthcoming about, like, self-promotion. Like, oh, yeah, I am really busy. People don't know that, so I need to, like, look not look busy it's just like if you just make it known what you're doing things and this started when I was in a band for a while that I was like if I just keep posting a story or whatever every single time we have band rehearsal by the time we have a concert people are have seen an advertisement for it seven times rather than hey this weekend we have a gig please come to Rockwood they're gonna be like oh, I didn't know that this existed. Like, what even is this? Right, they're already like, they've already got plans or something. Yeah, so it's a kind of build an advertisement, especially for that, like when you're just making, you know, music that no one asked for. Like, it's good to just post and promote and also just like fun memories. Like my new favorite thing on the train is just go on my archives of my stories from like two years ago and be like, oh my God, a year ago I was with this person getting coffee, whatever. Like, that's kind of fun. Another thing, and I've talked with a lot of my friends about this, is that, I have a lot of friends that like really feel small with social media and I think that's very real and I definitely have moments of that but on the whole I'm I don't know why but I handle it fine like I don't think social media has been that much of a detriment to me for whatever weird reason when you say detriment in what way like I have friends that are like every single time I go on social media and I see someone got this job I feel extra unemployed. I don't know why. Maybe it's the two years of therapy I've been going to. But every time I, like, I'll see that same thing. And I'll be like, oh, fuck yeah. Like, I, I don't know why, but I, I have been genuinely feeling genuinely happy for all of my friends that I see, like, getting jobs. Like, to me, it's the whole, like, circles rise thing. And I'm like, the more friends I have on Broadway the more I'm like, wow, if seventh grade me watching the Tonys in Cedar Park, Texas had 24 friends on Broadway right now, she would be like shitting herself. I remember the first time that I watched the Tonys and I knew like I had taken a tap class with like one of the chorus girls from blah, 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 blah. I was like, oh my God, I know her. Like it seemed like the yeah. biggest thing. And now like every time I have a friend that is on there and like doing it, I'm like, I feel closer and closer and closer and closer to celebrity friends like that's so cool so for whatever reason that's been fueling me rather than detrimenting me I I do see the world where it's bad also 
I love the unfollow feature. I love the mute feature. Like there are people that don't help me and I just don't follow them, unmute them, whatever. Like that's also, I'm so good at being like, boop, bye. So with those two things, this year, and this has been a very recent thing and it's been entirely because of my friend, um, Catherine Penny, who is the understudy in Forbidden Broadway. Like I've become really close with her. Her whole thing is like, she has made it a creative place for her where she's like it's not just going to be a chore of I need to post a good self-promotion photo of me doing this reading she's like no this week I'm going to find a song I love choreograph a dance find a cool backdrop a fierce outfit go film it shoot it on 4k with my tripod and my friend put it on social media with all the things and like that will be the creative thing it's like shooting two birds with one stone and she makes such cool stuff like the first time I saw it I was like how dare you turn this into a positive thing that's not even a chore it's like actually an asset and it's like a living resume of everything she can do like I was like bitch I didn't know you could do point I didn't know you could sing this I didn't know you could do that you know this person you know this person like it's like it's truly like a video resume it's so dope um so I think just hanging out with her and seeing how she's like yeah I'm shooting three videos this week blah blah blah, doing this and this um and a big thing she does is impressions like she'll just find like a funny Drew Barrymore clip and then like imitate it like put herself in yeah yeah yeah. yes so I was like that's truly so genius like yeah it's just like things that make me happy I just do them because I want to spend more time with that Drew Barrymore clip or whatever I don't know it's just so brilliant and so cool so I've been um trying to do more of that and I have like stuff planned and stuff like that feels like the most constructive way I have found to do this thing that we can't escape anymore. And with all this stuff, I mean, like the, the YouTubers, the, the social media, like you're looking at your friends' content, you're reading those Twitter people you do follow. Is there a moment when you actively have to say to yourself, okay, I've done enough looking. I got to go do it myself. I think this year as a whole has been a year of more production than consumption for me which has been good but I want to keep going with that I don't think well I don't know with social media there's like kind of no way to only produce and not consume because you kind of have to go with like what is popular to trend there's no there's like no world where this is uh you know multi-million um follower situation but it's just like if a casting decision comes down to oh this girl is actually funny with her own brain not just like through our material like I can trust her in a rehearsal room that's it like that was worth it so the last thing I wanted to do on your website Mm -hmm. you have a blog section and I was kind of just going back through it and reading some stuff and one of the earlier posts you said something that I thought was really, really interesting. From and what year is it? I will tell you. This was from... Oh my God. Okay, this was from September of 2015. It sounded like from the quote, you were about to go, I think it was on a cruise, or I think it was that uh-huh. the cruise you took, right? Yeah, yeah, during yeah. During school. Um, and you were going to be gone for several months. Uh-huh. And you were talking about this trip you took with your mom in New York. You saw a bunch of shows. And one of the last things you said, you were talking about leaving, not being in a musical theater sort of environment yes. necessarily. Um And so here's the quote you had, which was, I was born into a showbiz family, and I'm thrilled to take a step back from it for a bit. And I think 
there's this point, there's an inflection point for a lot of people when they're creators, whether it's theater, whether it's writing, something, right? That we're, we usually start it because we're passionate about it and it's something we love. And then eventually, if we want it to become our job, there's this point where it becomes a product as well, right? And those things have to live simultaneously. And I just would love to hear your thoughts on whether it becomes difficult at times or just in general how you take it of the thing you love to do your passion also being the thing you do as, as your livelihood yeah i'll tell you i think the first time that i have felt that has been with this show because it's my first time doing it doing a show in new york and it's been a five-month run which i haven't done a run this long since i was a child truly all i wanted this year was to do a show in new york because like when you work regionally it's like a vacation from your life it's awesome like all you do is your show and then like free time um but then i mean i live so far away from my family so my family is my friends and they're all in new york and i just got like major fomo depressive separation anxiety the last time i was away for a long time so to get to do a show and my life at the same time has been like truly the best um but then it's also hard because there are days when you really are I mean there's days when you're sick and you know that's rough in a long run like you are inevitably going to be sick and you have to learn how to deal with that um but there's just days where you're like I had you know like a weird conversation with my boyfriend and I can't stop thinking about it and I'm on stage like singing and like how dare I not give 100% of myself to this job that I'm so lucky to have that so many people would like give their left hit to be here but like I'm still a human being and I you have to like learn how to balance the fact that like if this was a movie you could do it once well enough it would get edited in and then you're done but it's a long-running show and the whole I think part of the impressive thing is to like go see you know Danny Burstein seven months into a run giving you a Tony Award winning performance on a Tuesday night like that in itself is part of the Olympic nature of it so this is the first time that I'm like really feeling that aspect of it also because this show is just like a fucking sprint it's 80 minutes and every single number is a different voice a different wig a different everything and it's like every single number has to be a showstopper like we're doing the 11 o'clock number from every musical on broadway all in once so it's just like it's too important to not give it your all but also like your life is too important to sacrifice it for a show like no one's doing brain surgery you know we'll be fine so that's been hard, but also really rewarding. And as it's coming to an end, I feel like I'm like performance wise in the best shape of my life because like there's, I mean, literally physically, like there's stuff in this show that I could not do without like losing my breath at the beginning of the run. And now like I can get through the end of the note. Um, but then also just like reading audiences, like sometimes they're drunk and they're giving you every laugh and the show is four minutes longer. And sometimes everyone is asleep in the front row. I'm serious. And you're like, I want to kick all of you and wake you up because how dare you, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So just 
um, those comedy chops have been really feeding my sketch comedy hunger, which is really fun. But um, yeah, it's like skills I, I didn't know I needed. Before we wrap up, is there anything you want to plug? Anything you want to mention? I mean, my new goal in life is to be an Instagram comedian. So if you want to just like go ahead and follow me on that, that'd be fun. Do you want to mention your... Uh... Yeah, it's just my name. So Aline Mayagoitia. That is A-L-I-N-E. M-A-Y-A-G-O-I-T-I-A. We'll make sure we'll put a link to that as well in the notes. Thank you. Um, and yeah, just doing like a bunch of concerts and stuff. and um, Doing the thing? Yeah, just doing the thing. Cool. And I hope soon there will be more like self-made stuff there you go out there so look forward to that there's a bit of that creation part that's oh, right well, look at that's that right. we're ending on a good note um aline thank you so much of i really course. really appreciate it and thank you guys all right bye bye as always before we wrap up please do check out the show notes if you have a second you can find all those resources that were mentioned at the very beginning of the show and you'll also find links to aline's work and some resources that she has recommended. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we are on Facebook and Instagram at Creative Consumption Podcast, and we are on Twitter at underscore create consume. And again, you can always subscribe to the show in any podcast player or check out the website where we've got the full show notes for these episodes, as well as some information about the background of the show. Thank you guys again for listening and be safe.